Alright, so do we have the best worship team on the planet or what? Huh? Amen. And Jessica's back. What's that? And Jessica's back. And Jessica's back, yeah. I, I talked about that last week. I don't want, to, don't want to overdo it. You want to give her a big head or something. So, you know, gee. But I am glad she's back. Oh, take, take your Bible this morning and turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to hopefully make some more progress in Mark this morning, right? If your life is like mine, your life is marked by moments. Special, significant, important moments. If you think about your life like I think about mine, some of those moments are really, really strategic. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of important, critical, strategic moments in your life. But, you know, I think of, like, the moment of my birth, that was pretty significant. My memories are pretty, pretty non-existent there. Um, first day of school was probably more traumatic for my mother than for me, right? But graduation from high school, that was a significant moment in my life. Graduation from college was a significant moment in my life. Uh, the moment that I proposed marriage to my wife, December 24th, 1968. And every time I ride my bike across the beach trail in Long Beach and go through the parking lot at Cherry Beach, I remember that's the spot where I proposed important moments. Of course, there was the moment of the wedding, right? Moment of the first child. Now that first child's first day of school, that's a little more traumatic. How about... How about the moment when you understood that you needed to put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus? Significant moment. Maybe you think of a significant moment at the time when you were baptized. Or maybe there was a significant moment, decisions and choices that you had to make. But your life and mine is marked and characterized by moments. Significant, important, critical Moments, And this morning we're going to come and look together at one of those moments in Jesus' life. And Mark, in his unique style of being in a hurry and rushing from event to event, jumps into the beginning of the ministry of Jesus at the moment of his baptism. Mark doesn't mention the angel's announcement to Mary. Mark doesn't mention the manger scene. He doesn't mention the shepherds or the wise men. He doesn't mention any of those things. Where does he start? Baptism. And so last week we looked at the ministry of John the Baptist, the man that Jesus said was the greatest man who ever lived. And of course, John's whole ministry was predicated on the fact that one is coming after me who's mightier than I, right? And that whole conversation we had last week about about John the Baptist. And so this morning we're privileged through the eyes of, of Mark, who probably was writing based on the reflections and testimony of Peter, if we understand that correctly. But through the eyes of Mark, we have this simple, short, brief paragraph that captures this moment in Jesus' life. 
And by the way, there's a map that I prepared that uh, I think I'm going to have David put up here for you. This map kind of shows you the traditional place where we believe that Jesus was baptized. And if we understand what Mark is saying, as well as Matthew and Luke, as they comment on Jesus' baptism, Jesus would have traveled from the north end of the Sea of Galilee down to just above the Dead Sea along the Jordan River where John was conducting his ministry. And it was here that Jesus came and was baptized. And you know, as I read this passage, I have all kinds of questions. How did Jesus know that this was the day he was supposed to come and be baptized? How did Jesus know that this was the time? Why didn't he come out to be baptized a month earlier or six months later? Why today? Why this day? I don't know. i got lots of questions about this. And in my mind, I'm thinking, here's Jesus walking from the north of Galilee all the way down to just above the Dead Sea. That would have been a walk of at least several hours, if not a couple of days. So what was, what was Jesus thinking about as he was walking, knowing what lay ahead? What was Jesus thinking about as he contemplated the beginning of his ministry? What was his anticipation? What were his expectations? I I have all kinds of questions I would love to have answers to. And they're not here in this passage in no place else. But I can envision in my mind Jesus walking those miles, coming down and meeting John. And as Mark records for us in these words, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I want you to see this significant, important, strategic moment in Jesus' life. And there's at least four things that speak to me as I have reflected on Jesus' baptism and on this account. And and by the way, there's value if you want to flip over with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew provides us with just a little bit of uh, more information, if you will, of conversation between he and John the Baptist. (laughs) Matthew records the account and says in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have the need to be baptized by you, and yet you're coming to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Allow it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. After he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on him. And behold, a voice from the heavens said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so I want you to see this moment in terms of really kind of four moments, if you will. Because for Jesus, this this was first of all a moment of obedience. That in the perfect timing of God, Jesus came to be baptized. And as you read the Gospels, one of the things you recognize is that everything Jesus did was kind of on a timetable was on God's schedule, God's timetable. 
And one of the emphases in John's Gospel is the repeated phrase, My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Jesus was operating on the Father's timetable, fully obedient to God's will. God's timing, God's plan, God's purpose. Jesus was acting in accordance with that. And when Mark simply says, in those days, Jesus came, it was right on time. Right on time. Jesus, For Jesus, this was a moment of obedience. Jesus' whole life was a path of obedience. Jesus said to the Father, I have come to do thy will. Jesus always did exactly what God the Father's will, purpose, and plan for him was. This was a moment of obedience. Interestingly, when the scriptures speak of Jesus' birth, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 4.4 that in the fullness of time, Jesus was born. God always has a plan. God always has a timetable. No surprises with God, right? Do you think God was caught off guard and surprised when George passed away? When Evelyn passed away? I was. I was surprised. I was caught off guard. I wasn't ready. Were you ready? I wasn't ready. But God always has a timetable, always has a purpose, always has a plan. And Jesus lived his life. And this moment, this strategic moment of his life, is a moment of obedience. And I'm reminded as I reflect on this, that my life and your life needs to be lived the same way. Moments of obedience. There was a point in time where I came to understand at the age of six that I needed a Savior. That was a strategic moment in my life. And then several years later in junior high, I came to kind of more fully grasp the significance of the gospel and its impact. And that was a significant moment in my life. Obedience moments. God calls you and me into moments of obedience. By the way, when Jesus was responding to God's purpose and plan in his life and obedience, was the path ahead of him an easy path? Was it a hard path, a difficult path? Absolutely. Does God ever call you and me to difficult paths? Hard times, difficult times? Oftentimes he does, right? Is that your life experience? And yet the bottom line for you and for me is to respond as Jesus did. Obedience. Obedience. God's call in your life and my life is for moments of obedience. Jesus lived his whole life in obedience. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, it says that he laid aside, if you will, the, the glory of heaven, of being God. God became a man, and it was a path of obedience. Obedience even to the point of death. And ultimately, the worst, most horrendous kind of a death, the death on the cross. That's what obedience meant for Jesus. And this was the start. This was the start. A moment of obedience. 
The second thought that I have as I think about this moment is that it also was a moment of identification. Jesus, in being baptized, is identifying himself with John's message. What was John's message? The kingdom of God is at hand, therefore do what? Repent. And so Jesus comes and identifies himself with the message of John, but he also comes to identify himself with the people who have chosen to respond to John's ministry and to John's message. Here are people who have chosen to repent, to turn their back on that life and belief that they had, and are turning away from that to return to God and put their faith and their trust fully in Him. It's a time for Jesus to identify with John's message and with the people who are responding to John's ministry. And I told you last week that kind of the core idea of baptism is the idea of being identified with something. 500 years before the time of Christ, the industry of clothing and dyeing material and producing cloth of purple or whatever color became very, very common and very popular. And in that industry, in that time, the person who was doing the dyeing of the cloth into the vat of dye, that, that job title, that description was called a Baptist. Because that person was baptizing the cloth, literally, in the language of the day. That cloth taking on the identity of the color it was dipped into. And so just as Jesus came to identify himself with John, with John's message, um, authenticating, if you will, approving John's ministry and message, he came to identify himself with people like you and me. He came to identify with us. And the call in your life and my life is to identify ourselves with him. And at least in part, the value and the message of baptism when you and I choose as followers of Jesus to be baptized is we are choosing in a public setting before other people to say, I identify myself with Jesus. I've chosen him as my Savior. I've come to the point in my life where I recognize that I need a Savior. I'm sinful, distanced from God, and I need His forgiveness. I need Him as my Savior. And I identify myself with Him. And baptism is one of the ways we do that. How else do we do that? The other way that we do that is we identify ourselves publicly as we encounter other people and talk with other people and identify ourselves as Christ followers. Do the people at your place of work know that you're a Christ follower? Do the people in your neighborhood know that Jesus is your Lord? I remember years ago when I was pastoring in Sacramento, a young couple came to the church, Rich and his wife and their kids, and uh, became very active, very involved, participating in ministries, and, and I kind of perceived in Rich potential to, to become a leader in our church. And I perceived in him that here was, here was a guy that had potential for God to use in, in so many ways. 
And so I began spending time with Rich, and we go out to lunch together, we study the scriptures together. And one day he says to me, Nobody at my work knows that I'm a Christian, which I thought was kind of a bold declaration. And I said, Well, well, well why is that? And he says, Well, if they know I'm a Christian, I'm going to have to change how I act. <laughs> yeah? Isn't that kind of the plan? And sometimes we're a little reluctant to identify ourselves with Jesus. Maybe we're a little bit like rich. We don't want to change the way that we behave, the way that we act. You don't identify with Jesus by a bumper sticker that says, Honk if you love Jesus, right? I don't think that's the way we do that. But do people around me know that I'm a Christian? Do people around me know that I'm following Jesus? Rich was afraid of that. Rich was afraid of that. So, this was a moment of obedience. This was a moment of identification. And then thirdly, this was a moment of empowerment for Jesus. Mark says, and the other Gospels speak in a similar way, that the, Mark says it this way, I saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. It wasn't a dove. It was like a dove. What John, what Mark saw, what John saw rather, the closest he could come to describing what he saw was that it looked like a dove. Well, what does a dove look like? It's white. <laughs> it's small. Probably a fluttering motion. I, you know, I don't fully know. I, I'm a student of doves. But uh, I've watched doves in flight. I've watched them land. Whatever it was that John saw, that's what it reminded him of. But the strategic part of this to me is, it says that the heavens opened. The heavens opened. And the word that's used here in the original language of the heavens opening, fascinatingly, is the exact same word that is used at the end of Jesus' life, at the moment of his death, when the curtain in the temple was torn open. And so the, the, the idea of heaven being opened, the curtain being opened, the idea of heaven being opened and God coming down, and that's what took me a little bit to that passage in Isaiah that I read earlier, God coming down. And so the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by the way, What's his ministry? Well, I started saying, what's his ministry in your life and my life? There's a whole list of his ministries in our lives, right? But at the very core of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is power. The intention of God the Holy Spirit is to empower. So did Jesus need Holy Spirit empowerment? That's an interesting idea. So, Jesus was 100% God, 100% man, the God-man, right? And so that man part of Jesus, and, and I'll confess, I don't totally understand all this stuff, but Jesus got tired, right? Jesus got hungry. So, that, that human, human part of Jesus 
needed the help and assistance of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, as I read the Gospels, I'm impressed with the fact that the miracles that Jesus performed were done in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why what's called the unpardonable sin is when people looked at Jesus and watched him performing miracles, their declaration wasn't, wow, there's God's power at work. Their declaration was what? He heals the power fails above. And so we have here empowerment. And I'm reminded that the scripture says, Jesus said to his disciples, you should receive power after what happens. The Holy Spirit comes on. And you should be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. God's Holy Spirit is in the business of empowerment. And so the Holy Spirit comes and descends on Jesus. And he's ready to begin his ministry. Do you and I need empowerment in our lives today? Boy, howdy. You and I need the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit. And one of the things that occurs to me as I read this passage and think about this is how often it's true in my life, and I'm hoping it's true in a couple of your lives as well, is you realize how often you attempt to do life in your own strength. You realize how often you try to do ministry in your own strength, your own resources, your own abilities. And if Jesus needed the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, how much more do you and I need it? Wow. You know, sometimes it's hard to acknowledge that you need help. It's hard to acknowledge that you need empowerment. I remember in February, the first Tuesday in February of 2008. Richard, you're going to remember this morning. That date ring any bells in your mind? First Tuesday, February 2008. Richard's got a blank stare on his face. <laughs> he was a key player that morning. My good friend Ed Trenner and I were on a bike ride. Oh, now you know, right there. My good friend Ed Trenner and I were on a bike ride down to Dana Point. We were down there for a pastor's retreat for the three days down there. And uh, Ed and I always took our bikes and I always went for a bike ride first thing Tuesday morning. And so we're, we're heading down toward the beach. And long story short, all the details are unnecessary. But um, Ed T-boned me. And he was dodging a car, came across this way and hit me. Well, I already had seen the traffic pattern and it stopped and my feet were on the ground with my bike between my legs. Ed came right across me and landed on top of me and broke my pelvis. I have never been in so much pain in my life. And uh, Richard and I were roommates and I called him on the phone to come get us and he was off running somewhere. I don't know those runner guys. And uh, he came and picked us up. But... When I went to see the doctor, well, I went to ER first for x-rays and stuff, and they told me I couldn't put any weight on my left foot for six weeks. And they gave me a walker. Have you ever used a walker? 
Yeah, Gary, you choose more than one. <laughs> For the same reason, you ride a bike too. And so now I'm totally dependent. Totally. I'm not supposed to be a walk-in. So I spent a couple days in bed. Any of you who know me, that's just not my style of life. Uh, and then I had to go to doctor's appointments and physical therapy, and my wife had to drive me to get there. And she's watching right now, and she's reliving all this, and it's just causing her heart rate to go up. <laughs> I was totally dependent on other people asking for help. Is that easy for you to do? No. Not for me. You know, I can do this. I've got this. No problem. You and I need the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit. Boy, do I ever. So this is a moment for Jesus of obedience. It's a moment of identification. It's a moment of empowerment. And then finally, it's a moment of approval. Because God's voice, God, this opening of the heavens and God speaks. And God says, you are my beloved son. And you, I am well pleased. <laughs> the verb tense in that expression, you are my son. I'm well pleased. That, the verb tense there has the idea of not just in this moment, but prior to this moment. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to know that you've lived your entire life every moment with God's approval? That'd be a wonderful thing. Not very likely, right? But for Jesus, this, this is, you're, you're my son. I'm well pleased. <laughs> There's probably lots of reasons why God the Father would say that. But in this context, part of me wants to believe it's because he was obedient. He was identifying himself with John's message. And he's being empowered by the Spirit. At least that's a part of the, the package of, of, of God's approval. And if you're like me, if you're like me, you spend a lot of emotional energy trying to please other people. Am I the only person that grew up please, trying to please his father? Trying to please his mother? Um, I was still trying to please my father as an adult. And I still have... Uh, I still have a, a memory that's hard for me of a, of a time when I sensed as an adult that I didn't measure up. I didn't have my dad's approval. He disapproved of a decision that I had made. Why do we spend so much time and energy trying to have other people's approval? Why don't we spend time and energy seeking God's approval? The way I live my life, the way I speak, the way I treat other people, the things I post on social media. Who not stepping on toes? I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Um, shouldn't it be our heart's ambition to have God's approval first of all? 
most of all. And I see that in this moment in Jesus' life as he comes to be baptized, that this is a moment of approval. And it just speaks to me in my life that I need to be someone who is pursuing God's approval. This was a moment of obedience to Jesus. A moment of identification. A moment of empowerment. A moment of approval. And there's a need in your life and my life to have this, these same kinds of moments, if you will. Just like Jesus, you and I need to have a moment. Many moments, maybe, probably, most likely, of obedience. Of identifying ourselves with Him. Of being empowered by His Spirit. It was Dwight Moody who said, The world has yet to see what God can do through one life, fully committed and devoted to Him. And then Dwight Moody added these words, Oh, that I might be that man. And as I reflect on these four moments in Jesus' life, I think of the words of Dwight Moody. And so I have a couple questions, actually a series of questions that I ask myself and I ask you this morning. Are you fully obedient to all God is asking you to do? Am I fully obedient to all that God is asking me to do? As you read your Bible, as you read your scriptures, I guess I'm assuming something here, but I'm assuming we all are spending time in God's Word. I'm assuming we're reading the scriptures. Some of you are reading through the Gospels with me. I was encouraged this morning in our prayer time with those who gathered with me to pray this morning. One of those present talked about reading through the Gospels a second time in February and seeing some stuff she'd never seen before. That's the whole idea. (laughs) But am I fully obedient to what I'm reading, what I'm seeing? I suggested to you you last week, my friend Neil Cole is fond of saying, listen to Jesus and do what he says. Those are good words. Those are good words. He has given us instructions. He's given us a guidebook, if you will, that we need to follow. I bought my car at a dealership where my friend Dave was the service manager. And kind of my idea was, I kind of like the idea of being able to take my car to a guy that I know and trust, right? You got a mechanic like that? A lot of people don't. And so I bought my car at this dealership, and Dave was the service manager, and I would take my car in, oil change and stuff. And I don't remember now what the issue was, but I remember asking him one time about some, something I was trying to figure out and I didn't understand. 
And he says, well, you need to ask Tom. Tom? Who's Tom? Tom is the owner's manual. (laughs) You need to ask Tom, the owner's manual. (laughs) So, you know, it's in the glove box, and you pull out the owner's manual, and what... We got us an owner's manual, right? (laughs) Are you fully obedient to all that God is asking you to do? Jesus was 100%. My second question for myself and for you is, are you willingly and publicly identifying with Jesus? Are you more concerned about your reputation at work or in the neighborhood? Do you wear his name proudly? Do you identify yourself as a Christ follower? Do you tell other people about God's love? About what Jesus has done for you and what he wants to do for them? Obedience, identification, empowerment. Are you daily living with the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit? Is His power at work in your life today? Or are you content to live and function in your own strength? Guilty, Lord, I do too much. Tell Him right now that you need and want His power, His Spirit. Confess sin that would hinder the Spirit's influence in your life. Daily living with the empowerment of God's Spirit. Fourthly, are you consistently seeking God's approval rather than that of men? Does His will influence your decisions and choices? His thinking? His truth? Does His pleasure or displeasure impact your activities and choices? I want this moment to be a moment for you and for me, a moment of obedience, a moment of identification, a moment of empowerment, and a moment of approval. That's what God wants in your life and my life. And I see that in this this simple, quick summary that Mark has given us of the baptism of Jesus. There's an old chorus. (laughs) Dave, you talked about that one one song, Count Your Many Blessings, being an old one. I don't know how old. But there's an old chorus that says, Spirit of the living God. Fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall on me. And at the risk of singing a solo, I'm hoping some of you will sing along with me this morning. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, 
Lord, that's my prayer this morning. My prayer for myself. My prayer for our church family. That it would be the wish, the ambition, the hope of each of our hearts. That your spirit would fall afresh upon us. Might we be men and women, boys and girls, whose lives are marked by obedience, identification, empowerment, approval. Lord, I I pray, make that true in my life. Make that true in each of our lives. For your glory, for our good. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with us as we sing a song we sang last week for Valentine's Day, How Great Your Love Is. Um, I love it because you can just really sing it out and just remind yourself of all the things God is really good at. He's really good at love. He's really good at kindness. He's really good at grace. Great at mercy, and everywhere we are, He's with us, and He loves us, and He wants to have a relationship with us. So let's sing out how great Your love is.
our hearts are free. And King Jesus is alive, right, Pastor Roy? King Jesus is alive indeed, right? Amen. I love that expression. So with that thought in mind, go into your week confident that King Jesus is alive. And that by His Holy Spirit, He's going to empower you to face the week in front of you as you identify yourself as a follower of Him before the lies of the watching world. Do that this week. Remember to pray for our search committee, 3 o'clock this afternoon. They're going to be together. And we value much uh, your prayers for us as we go forward to a, a new day for our church. Have a great day and a great week.